question for you. Have you seen this bumper sticker before? Or if not this bumper sticker, uh, maybe a Facebook post similar to it, uh, maybe around Veterans Day or Memorial Day. The idea being that the freedoms we enjoy in our country came at a cost before. Men and women who love this country so much and those that inhabit it would be willing to give of their time and their talent and in some cases their lives for it. Our freedom, as the bumper sticker says, isn't free. And yet at the same time, we're called to enjoy our freedom, to live freely in it, to celebrate it, to discover in it, to cherish it, albeit with parameters. And the same is true with Paul's calling to the Romans and for us today. But first, good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be here. Uh, my name is Brian Mengel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cornwall Church. Specifically, I'm the campus pastor uh, for our Skagit campus, and it's so great to be here with you. Uh, hello to those in Skagit watching, uh, certainly those to watching online at cornwallchurch.com in Boca, and greetings to all of you here in Bellingham. Bit of a, a spoiler today. We are going to look at a short 17 verses in chapter 8. Now, I know what you're thinking, we're going to get out early, but you're not. So hang on, we're, we're looking at 17 uh, verses today, 17 verses that really provide clarity as we walk through the book of Romans this summer. They pack a real punch, and I think you'll find that uh, this morning. So let's dive in. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, starts like this, therefore, now it'd be easy to skim right over the top there, but we need to note the therefore. Anytime we see therefore in the Bible, in fact, it should prompt you to ask the question, why is there a therefore there? And really what it's saying is Paul's saying, in light of what I've just said, then this. And what has he just said? Well, the first seven chapters, Paul and our pastoral team have laid it out quite clearly, holy God Sinful man, coming wrath, perfect Savior, Christ crucified and risen, justification, sanctification by faith. So Paul's saying, in light of all that, then this. In other words, therefore. So therefore what? It continues. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a couple of different versions out there that will say it differently. The J.B. Phillips translation will say, No condemnation now hangs over the head for those who are in Jesus Christ. The Living Bible will translate it this way. So there is no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is not just the centrality of our faith or the foundational message of God that we present to the world, this is good news. This is like the Seahawks win the Super Bowl again, good news. Or, or more like the Mariners win more than one game in a row, good news. This is great news. John Piper will say, this is what we laid down our lives to communicate to not just our neighbors, but the nations. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But wait, why is it such good or great news. Well, we have to break it down. We can do that in two ways. Let's look and consider two things, the gift and the recipient. The gift and the recipient. 
The gift, first part of the verse, now no condemnation. Now no condemnation. And it might be easy to skip over now, but now is an important word, has a key connotation. It speaks to timing. Paul's saying, now that we've reached this moment, then this. I, I think of my daughter, Alyssa, who just had a birthday on June 14th. And in the days and weeks leading up to her birthday, she was receiving cards and packages, and they were accumulating on the dining room table. And she said, can I open them? He said, no, not yet. It's not your birthday. In just a couple of days before her birthday, she said, how about now? No, Alyssa, not, not yet. And then, of course, June 14th rolls around, and we get to say, now it's your birthday. So Paul's saying, now that we've reached this critical moment, in light of what I've said, now this. There is no condemnation. And how could there be no condemnation? Only one way, by God's intervention for us. God's intervention for us. That after years and years and years of law, where you break the law and you face the due consequence, which probably makes sense to a logical person, right? You do something wrong, you face the consequence. There's a story about a man who was traveling in a southern town and was stopped by a policeman. He was charged with speeding, and as the court proceedings began, the judge asked the man, guilty or not guilty? Knowing he was speeding, the man said, guilty. The judge replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you were going over the speed limit. But then the judge paused. He said, you violated the law, and the fine must be paid, but I am going to pay it for you. So out of his wallet, he took a $10 bill, stapled it to the ticket, and sent the man on his way. The man, taken back and humbled, said, this is how God treats sinners. The man was Billy Graham. You see, the law could do a lot of things. It could point out, it could condemn, but it could never remove sin. It could never overcome sin. Eugene Peterson says this, the law ended up being like a band-aid, temporary, on sin instead of, a, instead of a deep healing of it, a quick fix. For the ungodly and the undeserved, that's us, for, have a, for having a chance at being justified in our faith in God, it could only come one way, by God, intervening on our behalf. If we go back just two weeks we looked at Romans 6, and we saw 6.14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, instead under grace. No longer under the law, but now living under grace. The truth is that you and I, this side of heaven, have no chance at being good enough to be worthy of a relationship with God. So God, knowing that and wanting to pursue you, he leveled the playing field. We read on. Romans 8.3 says this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. Paul will say this in a different way when he writes to the Philippians. He says this in chapter 2, verse 6. Who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Your version might say something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, all the way to death, even death on a cross. God sent his son as the exchange for condemnation on us. He condemned sin on our behalf. And certainly not for God's fame. He was without sin. Not for Jesus' benefit. He was sinless as well. It was completely 100% for all of us here in the room. Those that would have no other refuge than to be condemned by our own entanglement of sin. In other words, Jesus condemned your sin by his flesh. Remember that bumper sticker. Freedom isn't free. There's a cost. Jesus absorbed that cost in a way we could not have paid. It cost him. And because of him, the freedom of living without condemnation, it's possible. So if that's the gift, who's the recipient? Look at the verse again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for whom? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, notice it doesn't say for those who are near Christ Jesus or for those that have heard about Christ Jesus or who know of Christ Jesus. Being in is critical. Now, you know Pastor Bob enjoys using uh, musical references. And on the times that I'm up here, I often use Disney references, which is kind of the same, but a lot not. But here's the point. There is a difference between being at Disneyland and being in Disneyland. One is on the outside, looking in, hearing the kids on the rides and smelling the Disney corn dogs, and one is being on the inside, being on the rides, eating the corn dogs, in or at. And Paul's saying the gift is for those that are in Christ Jesus. Your version might even say belong. It's speaking to a relationship. Regardless of the word in your text, the idea is the same. It's those that are on the inner circle, that are with Jesus, that say, I'm all in. And now they are without the condemnation once due. So Paul is clear. The recipients of the gift are those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I've had great conversations with non-believing friends, and some have said, that sounds very exclusive. And I would offer this. I firmly believe God is way more inclusive than he is exclusive. I think back and just flip through the New Testament and look at all the interactions Jesus had with people, and I think he was way more interested in being inclusive with them than exclusive of them. I think God wants nothing more than a big old family reunion one day in heaven with those that love him dearly. I've had other friends that say, God is too conditional. That sounds too conditional. And on that, I would agree. I think he is. And why? Because God is God, and we are not, and he gets to set the rules. Paul is clearly not a universalist. This is not a y'all come statement. In other words, it would not be accurate for someone to say, there is now no condemnation over my life because I said so or because I want it to be. And Paul will speak to that in chapter 9 in a couple of weeks about those that are outside of Christ, those that are separated from Christ. So yes, being in Christ, it's conditional. 
For over a decade, I worked in the radio industry. Out of college, I, I started working for a radio station in Seattle, and I loved it. It was so much fun. And about two years into my working in radio, I was given press passes for the Seattle Seahawks at the Kingdome. Yeah! Okay, yep, thank you for that. Yeah, and it was great. And I got two. So one for me, and I got to bring friends. My grandfather, before he passed away, we got to sit up in the press box, rubbing elbows with, with famous sports writers, hoping they would not ask why I was there. But we're up there in the press box, enjoying all the privileges of the press box. But when I left the radio industry to join ministry, that August, I didn't get my laminated press passes. And I, I remember I was good friends with the press coordinator, and I begged, and I sweet-talked, and I tried to get back in, but no luck, because I was no longer in the press, which was a condition. And so therefore, I was out. And I could say the condition was unfair, but the reality is I was never owed those passes in the first place. It was a privilege of being in the press corps. You see, I, I fear that in our society today, we are way too expectant and we're quick to be entitled. We want the dessert, but we don't want the calories, and we want the new car without the monthly payments. But that's not how life operates. It's not how God operates. We were not owed God taking on our condemnation, but he did. So the condition that he set is that we choose to be in Christ. The wrath of God, the condemnation of God taken away for those in Christ, not outside of Christ. And only then, really, does it become personal. And that's just the first verse. So we move on. If, if that is the powerful reminder of truth then, how does it play out? I remember hearing from a pastor once, when you're listening to a message in church on a Sunday, the question is, how do I take Sunday into Monday? How does it play out in real life? So Romans 8.3 says this, if freedom in Christ is the what, then here's the how. Romans 8.3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Through Christ and by the Spirit, the how is we engage the Spirit. We engage the Spirit. Romans 8, 4 says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, hang on a second, you might say. I thought you said the law had been replaced and now there was no condemnation. Good point. So good clarification here. The law being mentioned here is now not governing, but now serves as a guide. Big difference. The law, while not governing, now serves as a guide. Paul indicates here that our obeying or our following the law is not for salvation's sake, Jesus took care of that on our behalf. But our following the law is now out of our love and our obedience to God. And frankly, it should come naturally when we're in line with the Holy Spirit directing our path, 
guiding our way. At our last church in our small group, someone said that when we are walking in Christ, God's law should not feel like a burden. When walking in Christ, God's law should not feel like a burden. It should be light. It shouldn't be pushing you down. Martin Luther said this, this chapter, chapter 8, is where Paul comforts those that find themselves on the battleground where the flesh and the spirit fight. Now, I love word pictures. So can you imagine battlefield and flesh is here and the spirit is here, and as we walk through these next couple of verses, it will only add to that illustration. If we go back just a couple of weeks with Pastor Bob, he, he made the point, those that are in Christ, they're a new creation, and then it's a choice. Either you're a slave to sin or a servant of God, but you can't be both a slave to sin or a servant of God. And Paul provides a very clear grid to determine where you are, if you're walking in the Spirit or if you're walking in the flesh. The litmus test is this. Where is your mind set? Where is your mind set? And this fight, this battle of flesh versus mind, spirit, this is not new. And frankly, it's not exclusively spiritual. Maybe you've been dieting and you find yourself in the pantry and your mind tells you avoid the chips and the Oreos and your flesh says, but they'd be so good. Or maybe you're, you're out and you're exercising and your mind says, Brian, you can do five more crunches. You can hold that plank for 30 more seconds and your flesh says, you are good, wrap it up. There is a difference between the two. James Allen, a British philosopher, said this, you are today where your thoughts have brought you and you'll be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. Check this out in Proverbs 4. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Paul gets that our mind is important. Your thoughts run your life. So realizing this, he is very clear in the next couple of verses about mind, spirit, and our flesh. He says this in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Again, continue to build out that illustration in your mind. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So are you building out the picture of the two sides? There is one camp over here that's allowing themselves to be controlled by their sinful nature. The flesh wins. And on the other side, there's those that are not perfect, but they are chasing after the Spirit, desiring the Spirit to, to guide them, to guide their way. Paul says on this side, when our minds are set on things of the flesh, some versions will even say it's carnally minded, brings upon death in our lives. Paul uses the word hostile. It's hostile towards God. And again, if we go back to Pastor Bob looking at chapter 6, he said, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body 
so that you will obey its evil desires. And, and the flesh battles God quite naturally because just like a toddler, it doesn't want to be told what to do. It doesn't want to surrender. The flesh is just insubordinate. And more than that, Paul says this, the flesh, it can't do that. It can't obey God. It's crazy for us to think the flesh could do something it can't do. But we would all be in that category had God not intervened for us on our behalf, providing a way through Christ. So what's the alternative? Because this doesn't sound so great. But he painted the picture that was over here, and that was walking in the Spirit. And make no mistake, if you've been a, a Christ follower for any amount of time, you know this is a daily, hourly, ongoing, conscious choice. It's an effort. To live by the Spirit means tough choices. It means hard decisions. But the result, as Paul indicates quite clearly, two things. Follow the Spirit, let the Spirit guide, engage the Spirit, and what comes? Life and peace. Life and peace. Versus what? Death. Paul says this, Romans 8 9, he says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, we can't escape that, because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Do you hear that powerful promise? The Spirit of God indeed lives in you because of righteousness. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you will give life to your body. Because the Holy Spirit is given to every person that turns the corner and says, I'm all in with Jesus Christ. That's the power you have. We sang about it today. That's the power you have to live a fruitful, God-honoring life. As we read on, Paul encourages us of that very fact. In verse 13, he says, If by the Spirit you're willing to put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He'll say the same thing to the Galatians. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, even though sin entangles us, those in Christ, we have victory. Maybe even today, certainly this week, you'll stumble, you'll fall, you'll give in. But what Christ did, taking on for us, by the power of the Spirit, there's no condemnation waiting for you. So living in Christ, Christ living in you, obeying the law, it really becomes a, a want to. Not a have to, a want to. It, it makes me want to walk that much closer with God. On Friday, I had a chance to, to get away and have some quiet God time at, at Washington Park. It was so good. And I really got to engulf myself in Romans 8. And, and as I read this part of the chapter, 
I can't help but want to stand a little taller, breathe a little deeper, really soak in the weight of that truth, live in that appreciation, and then kind of swim around in that freedom. Paul concludes the front half of chapter 8 with a reminder of our state and puts a bow on the first half of the chapter. It's the why. He says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is the why behind the how and the what. That our living in Christ, that our engaging of the Spirit, we can celebrate not only our freedom in him, but we can enjoy that freedom with our adoption by him. Let me say that again. We get to enjoy and celebrate our freedom in him enjoying that freedom with our adoption by him. In Roman culture, a child that was uh, adopted resigned all rights to their former family, but regained new rights and new privileges and new benefits as a legitimate member of the new family, including becoming a full heir to the father's estate. God's adoption of us is the same way. In Ephesians 1, Paul again writes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And catch this. It gave him great pleasure. Our adoption into God's family gave him great pleasure. Think about how excited we are how much exponentially more God is about having you in his family. And I know something, a little something, about adoption. It is part of my story that when I was born in Japan to my mother, my mother and father were not in a place of having a child. They were also not married. And so for my mom to have had me would have brought great shame and disgrace to not only her, but her family as well. And so my mom, having my best in mind, kept me a secret. She would go live with my aunt for the nine months, would deliver me, and then went through the work to ensure that I would be adopted by my now parents. And I can tell you this quite honestly and transparently. For the longest time, I held great resentment towards my biological mother. And if you have been adopted or you know someone adopted, there's the, those different stages. Why, why wouldn't she want me? Why couldn't she keep me? All those different questions. And I worked through those, or I tried to work through those. And only by God assigning me Romans 8 for this week and having to concentrate on what it looks like to be adopted by God, do I now appreciate adoption and what my mom actually did for me? 
it would have been a lot easier for her to have gotten rid of me. It would have been quicker. It would have been easier. Instead, she had my best in mind and said, I love my son so much that I'm going to go through this phase. I'm going to go hide away for a time. And then I'm going to go through the work of finding him quality, God-honoring parents. I can tell you, because I live it, that there is a distinct difference between feeling alone and feeling sought after and being cared for. There is a tangible contrast between being abandoned and being adopted. And when we're in Christ, when you're in Christ, it's just that. You're adopted by Him. And because of the grace extended to us, we too inherit new rights and new privileges and gain all the benefits of a legitimate member of God's family including here on earth being led by the Spirit all the way to that great homecoming someday in God's big old family reunion. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I remember two GLSs ago being at the Global Leadership Summit, not here yet at Cornwall, and it was in between speakers, and if you were there, you remember this likely, that um, one of the worship team members there uh, at Willow began to sing a song. It was No Longer Slaves. And I remember the auditorium I was in went from everyone talking and chattering to silence. It's the first time I'd heard this song. Let me refresh you on some of the words. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your, your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We're no longer slaves to sin or to condemnation or the ways of the world, or what-ifs, or hopelessness, or doubt, or worry. Instead, you are firmly in Christ, a son and daughter of God, the creator of the world. And we get to call him God, and Lord, and Father, and even in the tenderness of a child, we get to call him Daddy. We get to call him Daddy. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. We're isolated away from the love and the mercy from God. But through the cross, in Christ, we're adopted by Him. So the question for you, as you walk out the doors today, is where are you? In the grand spectrum of your life, where are you today? Are you in Christ and you know it? Are you outside of Christ and you know it? Are you free of condemnation or are you under the law and under condemnation right now and you can feel the pressure of that? A pastor friend of mine posted on Facebook just Friday afternoon, Christ didn't make just the first payment on your moral mortgage. He paid the entire mortgage in a single payment so that you could live in relationship with God debt-free forever. To end where we began, Romans 8.1 says this, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And this might seem all too good to be true, but it is. That might not be the most profound fill-in ever at Cornwall Church, but it's the absolute truth. And sometimes you have to just write it out to really let it soak in. From God, by faith, the chains are gone, the debt's been paid. And that's the truth. Growing up, I remember a teacher. She infamously had a drawer full of whiteout, but no red pens. So when it came to correcting papers or, or scoring tests, she would say this, I could point out your mistakes and flaws with a red marker, or I could erase them so that without penalty, you could have the freedom to try again. Her students flourished under her teaching because they knew that she was for them and with them. That's God for you. In Christ, his desire for you is to experience the freedom of living in the Spirit, by the Spirit, with the Spirit, made possible only by Christ dying and rising again. And why all of this? Why Romans? Because God loves you. Skagit, I'm going to turn you back over to Pastor Bill, and I look forward to seeing you next week. And here in Bellingham, just to give you a hint of insight, we have an amazing leadership team here at, at Cornwall Church. Uh, that is our pastors, that's our staff, our support staff. And in trying to figure out what the final song would be today, I tossed some ideas to Ron, and Ron Pye sent one back, and I thought, you know, he's the professional. I'm going to let him decide. I'm going to go with whatever he picked. And he picked a song, and just yesterday I was looking through the words and thought, nice work, Ron. Here are some of the words you'll sing in a moment. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you stand as we sing this closing song together?